This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray first. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning, Lord. Thank you for your spirit who teaches us your word, Lord, and, and thank you for your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Matthew 22, verse 15 through 22. This is the passage. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true, and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the thing which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. And when they heard those words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Okay, now for a little bit of context, the Lord Jesus has just finished speaking to the Pharisees, that's the people here. He spoke to them through a parable of a king who made a wedding for his son. That was in the past verses. And the parable focused, that parable, the wedding is the king's son, it focused on two groups of people. And then on a lone person who just happened to slip in to the wedding. The first group of people that were focused on were those who were invited to the wedding and they were close to the palace of the king, and therefore they were expected to be invited, they were expected to come to the wedding, and the shock was how that whole group showed such a disrespect to the king 
They just refuse to come to the wedding and they have these trivial pursuits or trivial distractions that they well, I gotta do this, I gotta do that. So the Pharisees knew from that that Christ was referring to them in the parable. The disrespect that that group showed to the king by not coming to the wedding that tried the king's patience, but the king was very gracious and he overlooked their first refusal and then he sent another wave of servants to invite that same group to come to the wedding. And again, the group confirmed their refusal to and their stubbornness against the king and his son and it was that was so great that they didn't come. And that infuriated the king, which drove the king to invite the second group of persons to the wedding. And the second group was taken from those who were not close to the palace, but out in the highways with the picture being that maybe they were not living close to the palace and maybe they were gonna be far away, but they just happened to be on a highway when the king's servants found them, invited. But they came, they came to the wedding. And the second group represented the Gentiles who were far from God, but somehow they heard about the God of the Jewish people and how the God of the Jewish people was now inviting them to come to him. And the fact that these Gentiles came to the wedding was a condemnation to the first group that didn't come because the second group accepted. But then there was another person in that parable a very, very unusual case here that is described, this other lone person is described as someone who just happened to slip in to the wedding. He just happened to be there and he was caught by the king as a person who was not supposed to be at the wedding ceremony. Why? Because the problem was this person was not dressed in his best. He had all dirty work clothes on and he probably wasn't clean himself and he showed a great disrespect to the king. And this second person represents a person who tries to get into heaven dressed in his good works as a person and not dressed in the provided righteousness of Christ, which is symbolized by the wedding garment. And there are many people who are just enthralled with serving others. They're so caught up with serving others. They're, made, they're so caught up with making other people happy. It's like they're almost intoxicated with how good they feel when they serve other people and they've just become kind of drunk with the idea that surely they're gonna be allowed into heaven because other people have been really happy with them and what they've done for him. And these people don't feel the need of Jesus Christ to get into heaven. Kind of reminds me of a, of a rabbi's wife that I spoke to last week, as you know, his Passover was last week, and she was telling me about all the things that she was doing. She was cooking for 200 people, making matzo balls and soup and everything, and she was going through all the recipes and stuff like that, and it was going on and on, you know. And she said, and how are you? And I said, well, I'm recovering from surgery. She never heard that. She just was going on and on, and it's almost an intoxication that people get with, with their service. This is the person who was represented by the one who slipped into the wedding without being dressed for the wedding ceremony and he was cast out into a horrible place called darkness which represented hell. So the last person in this parable taught that in God's sight, all of our good works that a person can do are filthy in his sight from Isaiah 64, 6. Such an important verse. 
Isaiah 64, 6, where it says, we are all as an unclean thing in all our righteousnesses, every good thing we can do, everything we think, oh, well, that really, no, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. In God's sight, there's only one clothing that looks good on a person, and that's the clothing of righteousness of Christ, as it says in Romans 13, 14. Romans 13, 14 says, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 61, 10, Isaiah's talking about how I look good because he looks at himself and he says in Isaiah 61, 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. And when Christ finished this parable in verse 14, from this parable, the Pharisees got four points. That's what he was shooting to them. Four points. Number one, that the Pharisees were invited, as the Jewish people were, the Pharisees were invited to come to God to honor God's son, Jesus Christ, and they refused. Point number two, that the Pharisees who were, were invited by multiple persons to come to God to honor Jesus Christ, and they refused every single one, and therefore God was infuriated with them. Point number three, that God then turned to the Gentiles to invite them to come to God to honor Jesus Christ, and the Gentiles accepted and came to God. And point number four, God would not accept the good work of the Pharisees to allow them to come to heaven. Those were the four points that Christ pitched to the Pharisees through this parable, those were them. And the Pharisees understood that Christ was talking to them, but they also understood what he was saying to them were in the ears of the people too. That's what really got to them. This left the Pharisees infuriated at Christ that he had put them down in the front of the people and really made the Pharisees, they were so angry with that, with that the people heard Christ say these things against them. So the Pharisees wanted then to invalidate Christ in the eyes of the people, and that was what made the, the Pharisees, was what triggered this meeting in verse 15. In verse 15 where it says, then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. So the Pharisees, they that were thinking only about themselves, not of the people, and for them, the problem was not what they heard Christ say about them. For them, the problem was that the people heard what Christ had said about the Pharisees. And so their goal next was to embarrass Christ in front of the people. And the goal became to force Christ into saying something that he didn't wanna say. Now, here comes their plan, and their plan goes into action in verse 16. Verse 16, so they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true, treatest the way of God in truth, neither carest thou for any person, thou regardest not the person, person of men. So first of all, we see that there was this other group that they had corralled in, and they're called the Herodians, the Herodians. Now, the Herodians were Jews, and they were loyalist. They were loyal to Herod. They actually wanted for the king of Israel to be one of the descendants of Herod. And the Herodians were like inside informers. They were spies that Herod had used to know everything that was happening among the Jews. The Herodians were very dangerous people. They were very dangerous because the Herodians were the eyes and the ears of Herod, a very brutal, savage type of man. 
among the Jews, the Herodians were. And it was exactly for this reason that the Pharisees invited the Herodians to go with the disciples of the Pharisees to have this encounter with Jesus. So sending the Herodians was a trap. And because the Herodians were the snare that the Pharisees set in place to trap Christ in his words. Now, they've got the Herodians in place and the Pharisees are working to set up Christ for the big fall. This is a setup. Now we really see the Pharisees as the fox putting on the sheep's clothing as the Pharisees try to become like the Jewish people who were listening there, the multitude of the Jewish people, and the multitude of the Jewish people, they're following Christ as they first, and so the Pharisees don't wanna position themselves as being the enemies and the opponents of Christ. No, so instead, they come in, in verse 16, with this word, master. Master, and I don't know, maybe Christ might have fallen off his feet when he heard him say that, master. Because the word means instructor, it means teacher. And they want to appear just like the others who saw Christ as their instructor. So they would become for the people, what they want to do is become for the people an example of a person who followed Christ and then left following Christ. They want to become a Templeton. I'm off with Billy Graham. They want to be a person who kind of paves a path to leave Christ. That's their strategy. Reminds me of a rabbi who used to tell me, Tom, I really want to follow Christ. So just help me with a couple of problems that I have about Christ. And then the rabbi would ask different, would bring out different portions of the New Testament that he thought were contradicting each other. And the reality was he didn't want to follow Christ at all, but he said that he did just in order to get me on his side so that I could see, oh yeah, the New Testament is really not true. That's exactly what the Pharisees are doing here when they call Christ master in verse 16. Christ is not their master. They're just calling Christ master in order to appear like they're following Christ but he's not their master. They just called him master, just like a person today can call Christ Lord when Christ is not at all their Lord. Because there's one factor that makes Christ a person's Lord or that makes Christ a person's master, and he identified it in Luke 6.46. Luke 6.46 when he said, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? So what makes Christ a person's Lord is not that the person calls Christ his Lord. It's not that the person knows the Bible and can quote portions by heart of the Bible. It's not that the person regularly attends church. It's not that the person has been baptized or confirmed in the church. What makes Christ a person's Lord is that he does what Christ taught to do. He reads the Bible to find out what Christ is telling him to do. That person, when he opens the Bible, he maybe has a pen in his hand and he maybe has some paper and he says to himself, okay, I'm excited now because today I know I'm gonna find something in this book in the Bible that Christ is saying for me to do and I'm gonna write it down and that's gonna be for me my new instructions for today. That's gonna be my project for today. So that's what a person looks like who really has Christ as his Lord. That's the picture. He's on the hunt for a command or an instruction that he just hasn't yet incorporated into his life. And he wants to incorporate 
the commands, the instructions of Christ into his life. This is the last thing on the mind of these Pharisees. They have no intention of doing that. And Christ went on to explain what it's like for a person to call him Lord, and here's what his instruction, and he said to do and not to do. He said in, in Luke 6.46, that passage, Luke 6.46, why call ye me Lord and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He's like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Both persons built a house. Both houses looked the same. Both houses were beautiful. Both houses looked like they were strong. Both houses looked like they were sturdy. Both houses looked like they're gonna last 100 years and withstand whatever storm came its way. But the point was that outwardly, you couldn't tell. You couldn't tell the difference between one house built on the rock and the other house was built on the earth of sand. Both houses looked the same. One house just looked as strong as the other. Same size, same material, same windows, same doors. No difference between the two houses. And you and I would have said both the houses are the same. That's all. But there was a huge difference in the houses and the difference was not seen. It was not apparent to the eye because the difference was buried under the ground where you couldn't see there. You couldn't see that one house was built on the rock and the other house was built on the sand or the earth. You could not know that because the rock is under the ground. Both houses were heavy, so if you pushed on the houses, neither house moved. One was as solid to you, looked as solid as the other, but the difference was that one house, the builder said to himself, I'm not building this house just for show. I'm not building a house just for the temporary. I'm building a house for when the storm comes. I'm building a house to last forever. It would be a whole lot easier for me, the builder would say, it'd be a whole lot easier for me, a whole lot cheaper to set the foundation of my house on sand, on dirt, and be done with it, and have my house look just as good as all the other houses, but not me. I'm not that kind of builder. I'm building for keeps. I'm gonna dig down and dig down and dig down and dig down until I hit rock. And that's what I'm gonna set the foundation of my house on, solid rock, because I know those storms can come. Now, by contrast, the other builders said, time is money. Time is money, and I want a quick house to go up. I'm not gonna spend my strength and my time digging down to a rock. My house will look just as good as everyone else's houses, and we never get those strong storms. So my quick-to-build house on the sand is gonna be just fine and up went his house. And then it happened. Then it happened, that so-called 100-year storm, whatever they call it. It came, and the house on the rock looked just as strong as when it was constructed, but the house on the sand, well, it was all broken up, just piles, just piles of materials. And people then walked by the two houses and said, well, now we know. Now we know who took the time and the trouble to make sure that their house was built on the rock and who said it, and now we know who said it doesn't matter and built his house easily, more easily, and Christ said, that that was the one difference 
between a person who just hears Christ's words, instructions, and doesn't bother to change his life to obey what Christ said, he built his house on the sand. And for that person, that was no problem until the storm came, until that storm came. But for the other person who took the time and trouble to make sure his house was built on the rock, he built his house with that storm in mind. And when that storm did come, he said, just as I expected, and his house stood And Christ said that that's like the person who not only heard what Christ said, but also did it, all because he built his house with the storm in mind. It reminds me in what happened in Loretto. You know, I sleep with earplugs. Don't ever call me at night, I'll never hear the phone, and they won't even answer. Anyway, about four years ago, as I was asleep with my earplugs on, and I and I got up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom, and so I put one foot down on the floor, and splish splash, my foot was in water. And so, you know, you kind of sleep, and I thought, well, maybe it was just a dream. Maybe I spilled some water or something like that, so I put my other foot down on the ground and splish splash. You know, it was, <laughs> the house was flooded, downstairs and upstairs. And uh, there had been an a unexpected two-hour hurricane with winds that were very strong, and they, they blew the rain sideways into the, and they came through the sliding glass doors and the windows of the house that faces the ocean. And so I called my friend at two in the morning. We spent the rest of the night and the, getting the water out of the house. And as a consequence, I changed all the doors, all the doors and the windows to the ones that come from Florida that withstand 150 mile an hour winds with rain, you know. And for the new retreat house, the new beach house, you know, building that house for the category five hurricane, you know, the category five hurricane, John that did come and stayed in Loretto for two days in September 1st in 2006 with greater than 150 mile an hour winds. But for me, that's all I think about in construction now. How would these doors and these windows hold up to the Category 5 Hurricane John? It also reminds me of the time when we were looking for a site in, um, to build our Scantabodies Ethiopia compound. And at first, we looked about 45 miles north of uh, the capital, Addis Ababa, And we were offered a piece of land up there, and it looked really nice. You know, it was beautiful. It was uh, on a paved road, and only 13% of the roads were paved in Ethiopia, and had trees, and I thought, what's not to like about this place? But then uh, until a local person came over as we were standing there, and he pointed with his finger, and he says, uh, he was explained to us, he says, you know, if you build your building here, And then he pointed about 50 feet away. He says, during the rainy season, your building will float over to here. (laughs) Well, that was all we had to hear. And we did some investigation, and we found out that whole area up there in Legatafo is all unstable ground. And so, therefore, we we located about three hours south of the capital in Budajir, where the ground doesn't move during the rainy season. As a matter of fact, this whole parable of the of building on the rock, we have a demonstration of that right here. When you go outside this building here and you look over there but next to the chapel where they're building those thousand uh, apartment units there, you look down that direction on that site and you can see very tall drilling machines. And those drilling machines are drilling large diameter holes all the way down to bedrock They're gonna be filled with concrete as columns, and that's what those new apartment buildings are gonna be built on, because the city of San Diego is telling those builders, you will be a wise builder, and you're gonna build your house on the rock, because the land also has this problem over here. 
Anyway, so the Pharisees and the Herodians, they called Jesus Christ master only because they heard what Jesus was saying, but they were not obeying what Jesus said, and they were, they were putting their houses squarely on the sand. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.